This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here. Fatigue, weight gain, depression, constipation. These are just a few of the more common symptoms of the dysfunction of the thyroid, a little gland that exerts enormous influence over the entire body. Dr. David Brownstein is one of the foremost practitioners of holistic medicine and has been studying the true causes of thyroid dysfunction for over two decades. His revolutionary treatment plan, with the use of iodine supplementation at its core, has saved thousands of lives to date. This is the second in a four-part series with Dr. Brownstein. Thank you for being here, Dr. Brownstein. Thank you for having me. Can you explain to our viewers exactly how the thyroid gland functions? The thyroid gland sits in the lower part of the neck, and it weighs about one and a half ounces, and it produces about a teaspoon of thyroid hormone for a whole year. So that teaspoon of thyroid hormone has to drive the metabolic rate of every cell in the body because every cell in the body needs and requires adequate amounts of thyroid hormone to function optimally. So little variations in that teaspoon can have big effects on the body. As you mentioned in the intro, problems with an underproduction of thyroid hormone can be seen as weight gain, fatigue, hair loss, dry skin, heart disease is associated with it, and many other, many other symptoms. It all starts in the brain where the pituitary gland produces a hormone called TSH. TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone, and it comes from the brain and comes to the thyroid gland and stimulates the thyroid gland to produce thyroid hormone. So from the thyroid gland, it releases T4, which is thyroglobulin molecule with four atoms of iodine attached to it, into the bloodstream. T4 gets circulated into the bloodstream, hits the organs, and, and goes into the cells of every cell in the body where it's converted into T3, which has three iodine atoms attached to it. And T3 is what binds to the thyroid receptors inside the cells and exerts the thyroid hormone effect that we want. So one of the effects when T3 binds to the cells is it increases the metabolic rate, so it produces heat. So if people don't have enough thyroid hormone, one of their complaints is they're cold all the time. Well, they're cold because they don't have enough T3 producing a metabolic, an increased metabolic rate and relieving, you know, producing heat. So the system works pretty well. We were designed well to have adequate thyroid function if the body has an adequate source of iodine and other nutrients to help the thyroid work better. So how common is it these days to see individuals with thyroid disorders? How common is it? It's really common. I think it's the most common reason people go to their primary care doctor. And, you know, the, the biggest complaint I hear from my patients is they're fatigued. And the, one of the thyroid effects when it binds to those receptors is it produces enough energy to keep us from being fatigued. So fatigue should be a first signal perhaps the thyroid's not working correctly. What are the different types of thyroid disorders that are out there right now? Well, I mean, the most common one is hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid. That's where people are producing an underactive amounts of T4 and T3, and they exhibit the signs of hypothyroidism. They're tired, they're cold, they're gaining weight, hair loss. They can become a little swollen, you know, fluid under their skin. 
on the, on the other side of the coin is hyperthyroidism, where they produce too much T4 and T3. These people are nervous, jittery, they're losing weight, they can get palpitations. And then there's the autoimmune thyroid diseases. Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease sort of lead the way with that. Those conditions can be either hyper or hypo in the case of Hashimoto's disease. So I'm assuming that some of those can lead to thyroid cancer. What would be this? Would it be the same symptoms that someone would be suffering from with any of those conditions as it would be if someone was suffering from thyroid cancer? Well, thyroid cancer is the fastest growing cancer in the United States right now. So it, it's affecting a lot of people. And the main reason we're seeing such a rapid rise of thyroid cancer is the lack of iodine. And the iodine is an essential item for every cell in the body. We can't live without it, but it's really essential for thyroid gland function. We can't make thyroid hormone without iodine. Now, iodine also concentrates in the other glands of the body. That includes the thyroids, the ovaries, the uterus, pituitary, pancreas, and prostate gland. And we can't make any hormone without iodine. So... But if we're going to focus on the thyroid, recall that I said to you, T4 has four atoms of iodine attached to it. T3 has three atoms of iodine attached to the thyroglobulin molecule. We can't make those T4 and T3 molecules without adequate amounts of iodine in the thyroid gland. My research has clearly shown that iodine levels have fallen over the last 40 to 50 years. In fact, they've fallen over 50% across the United States. That's why we're seeing such an epidemic of thyroid problems. The medical profession uses the term chronic illnesses all the time. I just, it's, it's bizarre to me because I don't think you should ever have a chronic illness. You know, that's just an illness for life, basically. And I know you've talked about how important the thyroid is and how all of these other illnesses, especially heart disease and, and many other illnesses, have a link to iodine deficiency or even have a link to the thyroid. Uh, especially heart disease. Can you expand on thyroid and heart disease and maybe some other chronic illnesses? Sure. So the relationship between low thyroid and heart disease was written about in the late 1800s. So that's been known for over 100 years. Now, medical school, we're not given much information on that. It's touched on a little bit, but really the, the cause of heart disease that medical students learn is high cholesterol levels, which I've written about, and I don't think that's the cause of it. And that's a symptom of it, because if the thyroid's under-functioning, one of the things that happens is there's a lot of inflammation in the body, and the body produces cholesterol as an anti-inflammatory agent. So in the case of hypothyroidism, cholesterol will go up, and it can go up significantly. Now, the treatment for that case of high cholesterol isn't to give them a statin drug or a cholesterol-lowering medication, because you're just treating the symptom which is high cholesterol. It's treat the hypothyroidism, and then the cholesterol will naturally come down. The autoimmune graves and Hashimoto's, can you let the viewers know the difference between the two and maybe some symptoms of each? So autoimmune disease is where the body produces antibodies against its own cells. Now, conventional medicine has no idea why that occurs, and their treatment for an autoimmune disease is basically to shut off the immune system. Well, that's just not treating the underlying cause of the illness. That's just treating the, the symptoms of it. So in thyroid autoimmune disease, the most common ones are Hashimoto's and Graves' disease. And the body is producing antibodies, which is attacking the thyroid and causing inflammation of the thyroid. In the case of Graves' disease, the inflammation can cause an increased release of thyroid hormone. And these people get nervous and jittery and palpitations. In the case of Hashimoto's disease, the white, certain white blood cells called lymphocytes attack the thyroid gland, cause the inflammation, and you can either get hyperthyroid, nervous, 
jittery palpitations, or you can get hypothyroid where they're tired, fatigued, weight gain. So it can go either way with that. But the underlying cause of both Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, in my research, has been clearly shown to be iodine deficiency. So many people these days, you ask people what they suffer from, and they say fatigue, chronic fatigue. What is the correlation between the thyroid and something like fibromyalgia, which would be a pain disorder, and chronic fatigue? So recall that T3 binds to the thyroid hormone receptors in the cells, and it increases the metabolic rate, and it causes the cells to produce ATP molecules or energy molecules. If we don't have enough thyroid hormone, we get depleted of the metabolic rate and everything slows down, and we get depleted of ATP molecules. One of the symptoms of that is going to be fatigue. So fatigue should be a red light going off in a patient's head and a doctor's head. Perhaps this is my thyroid causing this. Now, there can be other causes of fatigue out there. It doesn't have to just be hypothyroidism, but it's a common cause of it. So I think that it needs to be addressed more and and looked at. And in the case of fibromyalgia, where people are fatigued and they have muscle aches and pains, I've treated many, many patients over the years. Once you get the hormonal system and nutritional system balanced, many times their fibromyalgia symptoms get markedly better, or or in multiple cases, they go away. I've talked to many, many doctors over the years, and there's a lack of education when it comes to the thyroid. There's definitely a lack of education when it comes comes to iodine. So let's say somebody is suffering and they go into their doctor, the standard doctor, endocrinologist. What is the conventional way to diagnose and to treat thyroid disorders? So when I was in medical school, I was taught to check a TSH level. If that TSH level fell within the reference range, then you were to tell the patient they don't have a thyroid problem and it was something else. Now, the something else usually turned into you were going to write them a prescription for an antidepressant or something like that. Now, medical students are taught to check a TSH and a T4 level. And if those levels fall within the reference range, they're taught that the patients don't have a thyroid problem and you treat them with something else. Now, the whole conventional medical school curriculum revolves around diagnosing pathology and prescribing the one drug to treat that pathology. So you've just not diagnosed a thyroid problem, you're going to diagnose something else and give them another drug because that's the whole model we're trained in is just prescribed drugs. So if you don't check the T3 levels, if you don't check the, the reverse T3 levels, there, there's some other thyroid levels. If you don't check the thyroid antibodies, which is how a complete holistic look at thyroid function should be done, you're going to miss this stuff. And I did miss this stuff at the beginning of my career when I was following my conventional training. But I'm much wiser about that now, and I've written about that in my book and why it's so important to check all those thyroid levels, because otherwise you're going to miss the diagnosis in many patients. How many people do you think are just misdiagnosed? I mean, the doctors don't even look at the thyroid, or they just diagnose them with something else when it's really the thyroid. It's a huge (laughs) amount. It's sad. And this is what's making patients so unhappy out there and why they're searching on the Internet for help for their problems. And they are being misdiagnosed, but they're being underdiagnosed because doctors don't know how to properly test for all the thyroid levels and how to interpret them. So you talked about the root cause. I love that. What is the root cause of most of these thyroid conditions that people are suffering from today? Well, one of the major root causes is iodine deficiency. So as I said, iodine concentrates in the thyroid gland. In fact, the highest concentration of iodine in the body occurs in the thyroid gland. So this small little gland weighs about an ounce, ounce and a half, 
concentrates more iodine than any other area of the body. And it's needed to do that because it needs to make thyroid hormone, which is needed by every cell in the body. By the way, Dr. Brownstein does have an incredible book. It's called Overcoming Thyroid Disorders. It's gone through several editions. Dr. Brownstein, this is an incredible book. I, I would recommend everybody purchase this book. What's changed in this book over the years? Well, it's interesting. I only write about what works in my practice. So when I see the vast majority of my people having thyroid problems, and when you correct those thyroid problems and they get better, that's why I wrote the book. What's changed over the years? Nothing much. It hasn't changed that much. The treatment is still the same. But what's changed is we become more toxic. So we become higher, we've had higher levels of bromine toxicity and fluoride toxicity, which is making more thyroid problems. And again, as iodine levels have fallen, that has exacerbated the situation. So the only way to correct that is following a holistic plan where you correct imbalances like take iodine, you detoxify to help the body release these bromide and fluoride atoms that are in there, and then you support the body nutritionally with eating a good diet, drinking enough water, and correcting nutrient imbalances. It's, it's not that difficult a program to do, but it does work, and it works for the vast majority of patients that me, that I've seen and my partners have seen. Over the last 10 years, let's say, do you think that the iodine deficiency situation is improving at all, or do you think it's still declining? The good news about the iodine deficiency problem is people are learning about it and taking iodine. The bad news is our toxicity levels are still high, so there's a lot of problems out there. But the, the news is out there and people are taking it, taking it into their own hands. I would, also, I would tell patients always to try and work with a doctor knowledgeable about iodine, but those are few and far between. So one of the reasons I write my books is to educate people so they can make good choices on what to do. So why is the RDA of iodine 150 micrograms a day? That goes back almost 100 years to the early 20th century when the population was expanding across the United States from the East Coast to the West Coast. And in the Midwest, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, there was a goiter epidemic. And people were suffering from large thyroids that were sticking out of their neck. And it wasn't just occurring in people, it was occurring in animals. They, the animals were having thyroid problems because of a lack of iodine in the soil and water. And the animals weren't growing to the right size and they weren't procreating correctly. So the government saw this problem and the government from the highest levels were worried that the expanding human population across our country was going to outstrip the ability to supply it with enough food and enough animals to feed this population because the animals weren't growing correctly. So the government established a group to look at this and outside of Cleveland, Ohio, they did the first study to look at how much iodine you could add to animal food to improve the thyroid functioning of animals where they didn't have a swollen thyroid and they grew to the right size and procreated correctly. So the minimum amount of iodine was found to animal feed that could make their thyroid work normally. And from that, they calculated the minimum amount of iodine in humans so they wouldn't get a goiter. So the easiest way to get iodine in humans at that point was to put iodine in salt. So they put 150 micrograms, which is the RDA for iodine, in salt. And they did a study in Michigan and Ohio and found that goiter went away in those that took 150 micrograms. So that's how the RDA was established, and it was never changed from that. So in, in conventional medical thinking, when the goiter went away, all the thyroid problems went away with 150 micrograms of iodine. So there was really no need to think about iodine, to investigate iodine, or to study iodine at that point. And 
From then on, medical students were always taught iodine deficiency is a thing of the past. It was rectified with iodized salt. That is certainly not the case because I diagnose goiter all the time in patients. And one of the reasons goiter isn't being properly diagnosed is doctors have lost their skills at palpating the thyroid. Doctors are, have skills with a pen and a paper, but they've lost their hand skills and they don't know how to properly palpate a thyroid. I was not taught in medical school how to properly palpate a thyroid. I taught myself my own technique of doing it, and when medical students and residents come rotate with me or I lecture to doctors, I take time and show them how to properly feel a thyroid. I can feel nodules down to 0.3 millimeters, and the way you're taught in medical school, the only thing you're going to feel in the thyroid is if it's sticking out of the neck and it's grossly large. So if you could adjust the RDA with all of your research, what do you think is a good daily level of iodine? So recall that has changed over the years. Our iodine requirements have gone up compared to our predecessors because of this toxicity levels that were, toxic allied levels we're exposed to. So my experience has shown that it's gonna be milligram amounts of iodine, not microgram amounts. So it's gonna be 100 to 400 times the RDA for iodine or about 12 to 25 milligrams for most people is gonna be the minimal amount of iodine to allow the body to release those toxic halides and to saturate the iodine receptors of the body. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Do you think everybody should go in and get tested for iodine deficiency on a regular basis? I think the best way to do it is to work with an iodine literate doctor. And do you need to be tested on a regular basis? I don't think you need to be tested on a regular basis. It's nice to be tested before therapy and maybe once when therapy starts. Then you can use symptoms and thyroid function and some other surrogate markers and sort of adjust the doses you need to. Those who have glandular problems, such as thyroid, ovaries, uterus, breast, prostate, pancreas, will need more iodine than those that don't have glandular problems. So maybe 12 to 25 milligrams for most people can be a healthy amount to keep bromide and fluoride from accumulating in the body and trying to saturate the iodine receptors. But those who have established glandular problems will need more iodine. And sometimes they need hundreds of milligrams. And we've seen cancers of those tissues get better. Now, iodine is not a standalone therapy. It's best used as part of a holistic treatment regimen, including other hormone balancing, nutrient balancing, correcting vitamin mineral deficiencies, detoxification, you know, and a whole host of other holistic therapies. So if somebody is watching and says, I want to go test my iodine levels and goes to their practitioner and says, Doc, can you please do an iodine test on me? What test are they going to run? Because I'm assuming that all these doctors are not familiar with the iodine loading test, correct? That's correct. So you can do an iodine spot urine test. A spot test means you just pee in a cup, check the iodine levels and see where you're at. That test only works if, no one's, if someone's not taking iodine. Once you're taking iodine, we have no reference ranges for that test. So that leads to the iodine loading test that Dr. Abraham designed. I helped him with it, but that really was his, his deal. And the iodine loading test is where you take 50 milligrams of iodine. From that point, you, take, you collect 24 hours of urine. 
and you send in a little sample of urine, and we look at for how much iodine comes out in the urine, and we know 98 to 99% of orally ingested iodine will come out in the urine. So we can simply subtract 50 milligrams minus what came out and realize how much your body held on to. Generally, if the body's really deficient in iodine, it'll hold on to a lot of that 50 milligrams. If the receptors are all saturated with iodine and you take 50 milligrams, you should hold on to about 5 milligrams or 10% of that. 5 milligrams is excreted. You should have enough iodine in your body. When you excrete less than that, your body's hanging on to. You're more deficient. So what do you think about the blood iodine tests? The blood iodine test is not a helpful test. There's, the reference ranges aren't well set. It's better to test iodine through urinary levels. That's been the established way for testing iodine for a number of years. So why are all the endocrinologists and why are these doctors not familiar with the iodine loading test? Well, many doctors aren't familiar with a lot of things. They're not familiar <laughs> with vitamin C. They're not familiar with magnesium. They're not familiar with other hormones of the body. Why? Because they weren't taught that in medical school and they, they don't know about it. There, there's a lot of ignorance in medicine out there. And I found out when I started switching over to my holistic practice how little I did know about medicine. And I'm still learning about medicine, still right. a student of it. So what would be the conventional treatment for someone with hypothyroidism? Well, the conventional treatment is only instituted when that TSH falls above a reference range. And they will use synthetic thyroid hormone or T4 derivatives, and it's called Synthroid or Levothroid, and they will give enough T4 thyroid hormone to drop that TSH back into the reference range and call it a day. Now, some people do fine with that, but there's more than just T4 as we went through on that, that diagram. T4 converts into T3. There's reverse T3 in there. So if my experience has clearly shown if you're going to use a thyroid hormone for treating hypothyroidism, it's much better when T4 is combined with T3. There are natural desiccated thyroid hormones, Armour Thyroid, Nature Thyroid are examples of those. You can even use T3 along with T4 separately. A lot of psychiatric literature shows you know, that improves depression in people. So this can be done, but doctors aren't trained on it. They don't know about it. That's why it's best to work with a holistic practitioner. What about the opposite, hyperthyroidism? What's the conventional method to treat that? So for hyperthyroidism, they're producing too much thyroid hormone, too much T4, too much T3. The symptoms are nervous, jittery, palpitations. People don't like hyperthyroidism. They're losing weight when they're not trying to lose weight, and it can make people miserable. The conventional treatment for that is ultimately to use radioactive iodine therapy, where you inject radioactive iodine, it's taken up by the thyroid, and it destroys the, wherever the cells that it's taken up to. The problem with that therapy is not only does radioactive iodine taken up by the thyroid, you're forgetting it's taken up by the breasts and the ovaries and the prostate and the pancreas and the uterus. And not only is it destroying tissue there, it's altering the DNA there. That's why studies show multiple years after radioactive iodine therapy for the thyroid, there's an increased risk of other cancers. So radioactive iodine should be used as a last resort. In 25 years of looking at patients this way, I've not had to use radioactive iodine in anybody. I have sent some people for thyroidectomies. It's about a patient every two or three years who have Graves' disease that we can't get control of it. And those people are rare. I would rather people go through a thyroidectomy than use radioactive iodine to get rid of the thyroid gland. Dr. Brownstein, can you tell us about one of your memorable, dramatic thyroid cases that you saw? So Tracy's story started after the birth of one of her children when her doctor picked up, she was hypothyroid, and a TSH in the hundreds, and 
She was severely hypothyroid. She couldn't think clearly. She gained about 30 pounds of weight. Her brain wasn't working, and she would mix up the kids' lunches. She'd go to the grocery store, couldn't remember why she was in the grocery store. She'd be driving home from the grocery store, getting lost for a while until she remembered she was going home. And Tracy's life became a mess with this. So her doctor treated her with Synthroid. And I show you the pre-picture of Tracy here with this high TSH. And the doctor treated her with Synthroid. And I'll show you the next picture of her on Synthroid. And you can still see in the second picture, her face was all swollen. And she still was complaining. Her brain wasn't working correctly. She's mixing up the kids' lunches. And she's still getting lost, having the same symptoms. So she went back to her doctor here, and the doctor said, oh, well, your TSH is normal. That's a huge difference in TSH. I mean, what is a normal TSH level? So the reference range for TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, comes from the pituitary gland to stimulate the thyroid to make thyroid hormone. The reference range for this hormone is about 0.5 to 4.5 in most labs. Now, the optimal TSH level should be around 1.0. But that's, we'll talk about that at the end of this. So in Tracy's case, her first TSH was in the 180s, fell down to a normal in the reference range. And her doctor said, you don't have hypothyroidism anymore. Tracy said, what do I have? And he goes, I think you're depressed. You should be on an antidepressant. Tracy said, I'm not taking an antidepressant. Something's wrong. So, so Tracy had read my books and came to see me. And I did an iodine level on her. She was very low in iodine. And I switched her from the Synthroid that she was on, from the conventional doctor to natural thyroid, and I put her on iodine at the same time. And you can see the following picture of her. Her swelling is gone, her hair looks better, and she felt better, more importantly. Her brain came back to life. Tracy became so much better with things. She formed a thyroid support group online and, and helps manage thousands of people who have thyroid problems who aren't getting help out there. Dr. Brownstein, let's talk about thyroid illnesses in children. What's going on with that? Well, it's not just adults that have thyroid <laughs> problems. Kids can have thyroid problems, and they can have it for the same reason. Not enough iodine or a lack of other nutrients that can cause it. Or if their mom has hypothyroidism when they're pregnant with a the baby, there's a really good chance that kid is going to have hypothyroidism at some time in their life. Now, let me give you an example. Dawson is one of my patients. His mom had thyroid cancer, was given three rounds of radioactive iodine treatment before she was pregnant with him, and... She was not properly treated with thyroid hormone and was not properly normal thyroid when she was pregnant with Dawson. So Dawson in utero was set up to have thyroid problems. So I was treating Dawson's mom with thyroid hormone and she asked me to see Dawson. The complaints at that time were Dawson was up and down, up and down at mealtime. He was driving the family crazy and he was disruptive at school. The teacher said he was up and down, he wasn't paying attention. The school was bothering Dawson's mom to put him on Ritalin and, and ADHD medications, and she didn't want to do that. So when she brought him to me, I did my history and physical and checked the lab tests, and Dawson's thyroid levels were in the lower part of the reference range. He had slow reflexes when I checked them, and because of Dawson's mom's history, I made a clinical diagnosis of hypothyroidism with Dawson, and I put him on a small amount of thyroid hormone, and immediately he was better. The teacher confronted Dawson's mom and said, oh, you must have put him on ADHD medications. He's so much better. She said, no, we treated his hypothyroidism. So Dawson did well for a time, and then I get a call from Dawson's mom a year later saying, the thyroid medication isn't working. He's up and down, up and down again, and the school's complaining again. What do I do? So I asked Dawson's mom if he was in a growth spurt, and she said, yes, his pants were short. 
Now, Stephanie, his mom, had also told me Dawson had failed a spelling test, which she had worked with him the night before on. So I said to her, when kids are in a growth spurt, a normal child with normal thyroid function will produce more thyroid hormone to support the body during that growth spurt. Hypothyroid patients can't do that. They need an adjustment on the thyroid hormone. So over the phone, I told her, let's all go up on his natural thyroid hormone by a quarter grain and see how he does. So she, she called me back a couple days later and said, hey, two days into this, he was better, and I'm going to watch him and see how he does, and I'm going to make him take the spelling test again next week. So a week later, Dawson went to take the spelling test again, and his mom said she did not prepare him for the spelling test. And you can see the results on the right side of the screen. He's in the lines. He's got most of the words correctly, no aliens to help him. And so this is a perfect example of your brain on hypothyroidism on the left and your brain with enough thyroid hormone on the right. You can see the lack of attention on the left with the aliens up there, the scribbling. I mean, his mind is not being, he's not being mindful. His mind is not focusing. And then a complete transformation on the right side. That is just amazing. It's not just kids suffering from this. It's adults too. And that's why doctors are busy prescribing antidepressants and psychiatric medications and, and stimulants to both adults and kids when they're not treating the underlying cause of these problems. These kids and adults don't have a stimulant deficiency syndrome. They have hormonal imbalances. They have nutrient imbalances. They have toxicities that need to be addressed. And this transformation happened in just 11 days. That is incredible. Now, if somebody out there is looking for supplementing with iodine, the iodine that you use in your practice, can you give us a general overview of the different types of iodine supplementations, what they can take, what you recommend. Obviously, you don't want people going to the drugstore and getting Providone iodine from the shelf and drinking it, right? First, I would say it's best if you can work with a holistic doctor who can help monitor you and guide you. And that's what I would recommend. If you're going to use iodine, it's better to use a combination of iodine and iodide, not use one form alone. I can tell you from personal experience that the combination works better. And it's important to keep in mind that small amounts of iodine, which in previous generations could help people in this generation were too toxic and too loaded with bromide and fluoride. It's not enough iodine to help the body kick out those toxic things. So I think we need to use milligram amounts of these things. Average doses for most of my patients are around 25 milligrams a day. If they have glandular problems or cancer or serious other problems, I'll use more. And it's a pretty safe therapy for most. There are potential side effects with iodine, like for any therapy out there, but it's a pretty safe therapy out there. Why do you think the conventional doctors and even some natural healthcare practitioners out there have that fear of using iodine? Well, conventional doctors don't know about it. So, so they, don't, they weren't taught it. They don't know about it. They don't want to use it. As far as the holistic practitioners, the myth that iodine causes Hashimoto's and Graves' disease should be dispelled by what I said earlier, that iodine levels have fallen at the same time Graves' and Hashimoto's has increased. I, don't, I can't quite explain it to you how when you're presented with the data that you can't see the light there, but some people just don't want to allow themselves to see it. I can tell you in our practice of treating thousands of patients, we help people get over Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, and you can do it with a natural, holistic approach. So what would be your recommendation for somebody who wants to go find a holistic practitioner? What do they do, the questions they ask? How do they find somebody that knows about iodine, that knows about how to treat the thyroid properly? So number one, they can look on the internet and try and find people. 
Number two, they can call a compounding pharmacist in their area. The compounding pharmacists know who's prescribing natural things for their patients. And number three, they're going to look at holistic societies. I'm on the board of the Inter International College of Integrative Medicine. It's ICIMED.org, and they have a list of doctors around the country. There are other groups who do this as well. It may be hard work to find somebody. It may be a little laborious, but in the end, it can be worth it if you can find a partner to work with you to maintain your optimal health. Yes, totally. Do you think that those individuals should recommend to their healthcare practitioners to do the iodine loading test? I have no problem when patients recommend to me to do certain testing or therapies. Um, so I don't think other doctors should have a problem either. And I think people should educate themselves and should be a part of their healthcare decision. So sure, I think they can have a discussion with their healthcare provider about that. When individuals start, when you put individuals on iodine, do they ever go through some sort of a Herxheimer reaction or some sort of a detoxification? So iodine can cause the body to release fluoride and bromide. So if you have a lot of that in your body, you can get sick from that. And I've seen patients get sick from that. That's the Herxheimer reaction you're talking about. And they can get achy and flu-like and, and fatigued from that. Now to minimize that, it's important to use salt with the iodine. What do you think is going to happen in the next 10 years with thyroid and iodine deficiency? I think as the lay people become more informed and more interested in their health and take more of an effort and, and push this more, that's what's going to push the, the wheel the other way. I do think things will turn, but I don't think it's going to turn from the medical side. I think it's going to turn from the, from the patient side, which will force the medical side to turn. What is it that you want our viewers, the number one thing you want our viewers to take away from this episode? I want to tell the viewers that you don't have to suffer with chronic illness. If you're unhappy with your medical care, if you're taking drugs that aren't helping you, that you think are making you sicker, let's search for a better alternative. And you can take control of your health, and you can learn about the things that you need to do from my books, from other people that have written books. And it's up to you to take charge of your health care and make the right decisions. People can read the book, Overcoming Thyroid Disorders, which gives you a general overview of the things you need to know on how you can become healthy again, how you can adjust your thyroid, how to recognize some of the symptoms. Where can people get additional information about you? How can they keep up with this growing trend? So I've written 15 books. They're all available on my website, www.drbrownstein.com. And I only write about what works. And I, if it works in my practice, it should work everywhere else too, because that's what's working in my practice right now. Dr. Brownstein, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for being on The Healing Matrix. We really appreciate all of your years of research and dedication to helping so many people around the world who suffer from thyroid disorders. Thank you. Thank you. As you've seen, the proper functioning of the thyroid gland is of utmost importance to our health. Unfortunately, there are very few in the medical profession today who truly understand or are willing to speak out on the real causes of thyroid dysfunction. Thankfully, Dr. David Brownstein has zeroed in on the key role that iodine deficiency plays in thyroid disease. We hope you've taken away from this program that you don't need to suffer with the symptoms of thyroid disease. With this new understanding of thyroid disorders, you too can get the help you need to live your most vital, healthy life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series 
all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform. Transform.